Hi, everybody. Good afternoon, and thank you so much uh, for this wonderful invitation. Um, I suppose as Andrew had kindly introduced, um, I've gone through, I would say, a lot of um, different aspects um, of the kind of cultural um, production in various scales. Um, and before that, I also just wanted to say it's so exciting. This is my first time here in your city, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about this really beautiful, rich um, uh, place, Melbourne. Thank you, Naomi, again, and um, all the wonderful team um, for the kind hosting and Monash University also. Last night, we had a really exciting presentation discussion. Um, one of the major questions we've been asking is about uh, building vitality. What is vitality, and how do we acknowledge change um, and dynamics uh, to create cities of relevance? Um, one thing we're very much invested in is, um, is the role of urban city innovation and the role of communities. Um, not only, per se, in terms of community participation, like some of the discussions earlier, but how we can actually build upon um, human capacity, both physically and also intellectually. Um, as uh, you all know, we recently uh, celebrated um, a 20th anniversary um, as a special administrative region uh, of Hong Kong. And um, we also recently in Hong Kong also elected the first ever, well, semi-elected, I would say, um, the first female um, chief executive. Um, so more than ever, I think uh, change is something we need to acknowledge, um, but also be cognizant as we, as designers, play a role in the city. Um, and the vitality of a city itself really is built upon people. And this is something I just want to share about our explorations. Um, as mentioned earlier um, from Andrew, just to reintroduce myself, um, I'm no longer actually teaching in universities, and uh, maybe I will explain a little bit why. Um, but also our practice is now celebrating its decade um, in Hong Kong, alongside with my partner, whose, I would say, expertise is in technology and um, also interest in the filmic production. Um, at the same time, we've dabbled in little bits of writing, um, collaborated with different entities and NGOs, and in one sense, uh, always being challenged about how to create self-driven briefs for the city, but also um, being challenged by um, particular uh, structures within the city to create a better, kind of more dynamic system. So we work, um, I would say, in between. Um, between different disciplines, and for example, this one is a Lego building participation workshop um, that I led um, that involved 400 young school children from 20 schools around Hong Kong. And at that time, I suppose this is 10 years ago, there wasn't much um, arts education um, in the curriculums, and at the same time, also a lack of, I would say, understanding of what culture could mean, or producing and participating in the engagement of the arts and culture scene. Um, this was a very exciting project um, under when I was a board member of the Hong Kong Ambassador Design, a NGO. And this also allowed us to think about, well, how do we invest in our city? How do we create um, interventions? And also a relationship not only for making as architects, but to en enliven and engage the community. And what does this mean as value? So this is um, a sort of a major question we have. At the same time, in our design practice, just to give you a kind of panoply of uh, projects we've done, 
We also been extremely obsessed with um, the human body itself um, as a way to understand uh, movement, the shaping, um, the individual, the collective. Um, and Ido Portal, um, we were commissioned to create a campaign and also a uh, backdrop installation uh, for his projects. Um, and he's an incredible uh, individual who's leading this thing called the movement culture. And this is not Photoshop. These are beautiful photos actually by an Australian photographer, Yuli Bala. And we were commissioned by um, a really amazing um, philanthropist to create a new way of understanding the body. And we traced and filmed and charted his kind of physical manifestation and created a uh, stage set uh, for his campaign, looking at ergonomics um, and also our interest in Asian lifestyle. Um, the structure itself is a 12-meter uh, series of rings uh, fabricated, and we had to build this actually in a few days. So the notion of speed and construction um, in Hong Kong is also something um, we've been kind of head-on um, building. At the same time, um, we've also done some very interesting, I would say, new ways of practicing. Um, and we were approached by Nike a few years ago in 20. 12, right before the London Olympics. Um, and they came to us with this idea of, okay, we have a shoe. Um, we spent about 15 years uh, researching and developing how to reduce waste and questions of sustainability. Um, can you help us curate a series of projects and workshops? So they came to us with one shoe, um, which is part of the Nike Flyknit Collective, uh, sort of a revolutionary design technology which is made from a knitted upper. And they gave us four words, um, lightness, performance, form-fitting, and sustainability, and asked us to do something with that. Um, so in the end, what we, what we ended up doing um, is really look at the potential of technology and ownership. Um, we were able to work with some very exciting technologists, uh, creating codes and scripts uh, to engage that particular community. We were tasked uh, to lead workshops of 25 individuals around China as part of the Greater China Collective and produce a series of workshops. Um, we innovated with producing sensors, um, usually, um, I would say, mapping a body in a certain way. But in this particular time, we produced um, various ways of engaging Shanghai itself in Hong Kong and also ultimately um, as a design and architect, I actually have to be honest, I didn't even know who this, this individual was, but it also shows the magnitude and I would say also deficiencies of being an architect in the city and how do you actually build upon um, different communities itself. Uh, we managed to really get the um, 25 individuals empowered and um, create walks and runs through the city and ultimately create an expression after a six-month uh, long process and project into a pavilion space in Beijing. And this is not the effort of us as SQ Design Practice, but an actual effort of partnering with a corporate brand, the CSR, um, I would say, sustainability wing, to also working with underprivileged uh, communities in China to engage the youth. So this is, um, I would say, some of the experiences we've had um, and using design as a way as an agency and uh, a way to also build capacity and understand our city a bit more. So it's not so that the big grand visions of um, urbanism um, and doing, as you said, the kind of planning, 
but also how to think about so social infrastructure. Um, obviously, we know, you know Hong Kong is um, a highly intense and dense city. Uh, we were also questioning uh, what does living mean today, and living, obviously, uh, with 60 years of housing policies, things do have to change. Um, about 70% of our uh, population, um, or 73% of our population, live under 600 square feet um, in certain apartments. And there's a, a dr drive to really rethink um, housing and uh, livability itself. At the same time, we have the fastest construction abilities and um, also now to the point where some of our incredible architect friends are being exported to build in Dubai or India. Um, so there's some sort of expertise we have. There's also a lot of innovation um, in building technologies um, such as this very exciting um, tower project uh, called Highcliff. Um, and this really makes us think about how can we tap into the potentials of innovation? Um, but at the same time, the reality is um, home and living is changing. And um, right now, as you can see in this slide, um, at just 15 square meters, a person in Hong Kong has just a quarter of the floor space of an average Australian or American, which is actually super fascinating. Um, but at the same time, um, more and more, we are accepting the reality as a micro-housing, micro-living, to the point where perhaps it's also reached some extremes. Um, the luxury micro-unit housing um, is highly profitable. Um, and selling, I would say there's a really interesting developer who uh, recently built some developments at 128 square feet um, compared to, say, Bloomberg's analysis of New York, which is a 300 square foot apartments equals micro living. So what does this mean? Um, so if we do accept this reality or projection, um, there's also questions about the notion of what we're very interested in is investment in the public realm, or where can we situate ourselves um, beyond just living? So the public space becomes urban living room. It becomes, um, I would say, a very uh, great place to ask these questions. Um, we've done a lot of research on certain areas in Hong Kong over the last decade. Um, Mong Kok is one of the most dense uh, areas in Hong Kong. Um, as you can see, also down where it says ICC West Kowloon, that's actually another area I'll be speaking of, which is the, building the largest cultural district. Um, and then obviously facing um, the beautiful harbor is the IFC Central, and then there's Wan Chai. And just to give you a, a sensibility of where we are, um, this is Happy Valley um, with the most incredible racing track in the middle of the city, surrounded by um, the peak and also the harbor, which is a fabulous asset um, of our city. What's interesting with the uh, Happy Valley itself, it's a huge open space, um, and urbanistically, it actually involves a lot of very interesting programs of uh, public and private uh, ownership, um, and also its uh, success is also run by a huge charity in Hong Kong called the Jockey Club. Um, and these are the potentials of seeing Hong Kong as um, a hyper-dense situation um, with complete 
projection and excitement towards infrastructural connectivity and always building and connecting. Um, as you can see, there were some earlier discussions about the role of uh, transit-oriented um, or podium um, developments, and obviously Hong Kong does this really well. And with the MTR now extending through north um, and also extending in certain areas um, westward to other islands and the airport, it actually has built um, very interesting uh, notions of what community is. So beyond the kind of density um, and the existing neighborhoods in Hong Kong, there are a lot of uh, unused, untapped resources, um, but at the same time, assets, which is the country park. So if you actually look at some of the urban planning codes, um, actually 70% of Hong Kong itself is actually um, country parks. And there's a diagram of uh, land utilization in Hong Kong that frames um, the very interesting kind of tensions between the urban and I would say um, a question of kind of densification. Uh, so this, this is the planning department's 2015 um, diagram just to show this sort of distribution. And from our studio, what we're interested in is not so much the kind of uh, the black and white, but how to diffuse or inject um, across integration to produce, I would say, what we're calling urban pastoral. How to accentuate uh, more public greenery in the dense area, um, but also give an identity to um, areas which are actually rural or agriculture and make it contextual as a way to think of it from an architectural design standpoint. So we've done a lot of strategies. We're actually uh, originally doing so much, uh, I would say, um, in the NGO nonprofit uh, challenging brief kind of uh, interventions, but we're also now being invited to work with some developers to rethink um, structures and towers. Um, we're still continuing looking at uh, collective living, um, also from the big scale to smaller models. This is an idea of looking at collective beehive structures and living, creating models and prototypes um, of the future to reimagine, and also looking at um, existing, uh, say, for example, a activism project uh, studying Norman Foster's uh, old writings and taking over um, his HSBC building as a way to reinvigorate growth and what the sky gardens mean. And we're very lucky in the end to be uh, exhibiting this idea at the Venice Biennial in 2010. Um, so this way of thinking and way of working is something we're quite insistent on um, as a way to test possibilities. And the youth um, culture and community, as you can see, um, a good few years ago um, has been, I would say, also questioning and, and affected by a lot of policies. Um, and at the same time, we're growing really fast. Um, Hong Kong is also, as I mentioned um, earlier, uh, part of a Power River Delta uh, region, and there are actually a lot of opportunities to rethink about different types of housing typologies. So these are some of the work um, we've also been doing um, with collectors and architects and developers. Um, but moving on from, I would say, the um, design intervention and prototyping, um, one thing I was very excited about was the quote that I think um, something even chatting with David Neustein a couple weeks ago about how cities should aspire um, to unpredictability, or I would say predictability, and what does that mean? Um, so we, we take this 
quite seriously, um, looking at cities not only in just inwardly, um, so say not just Melbourne looking at Melbourne, um, or say Rotterdam only at Rotterdam, but how does Hong Kong actually begin to network um, to its region? And recently in the new chief executive's policy address, um, there's all these new developments about wanting to frame the Bay, Bay um, Area, um, looking at industry and innovation, um, and also the role of uh, festivals and culture. And 2007, um, our city government, um, with the local architects and urban design associations, uh, partnered with Shenzhen uh, to create a bi-city festival of urbanism and architecture. And this is what's, I would say, quite exciting about um, the, of course, Hong Kong is undeniably dense. Um, it has amazing topography and landscapes and notions of efficiency and infrastructural connectivity. But the story of culture um, and the case for culture is probably not as um, well communicated, but this is potentially the new image um, of the city that's being generated. So in 2007, the governments came together um, to create a bi-city biannual, and the first one was actually in an old um, police station uh, post-colonial sort of was defunct for a couple years and was then in invigorated um, to become a festival for architecture. And um, we were then very lucky in 09, which is where um, I had the opportunity to test the ideas of engagement and community capacity and really look at who do we design and how could we design um, our city better and who, are, who is our community. Um, so we... Um, had in 09 a very interesting challenge. Uh, we were given just the top uh, strip of um, the West Kowloon Cultural District. Um, we won the competition to become the curatorial team. Uh, my partner, including Eric Schodenfry, Alan Lowe, who's a restaurateur um, entrepreneur, and also Frank Yu and his team, which are architects and planners, to come together to reinvigorate and reimagine this $21.6 billion investment um, of this particular space in Hong Kong that has been, uh, I would say, um, uh, left empty for 12 years. And there are obviously challenges in, in what festivals mean and biannuals, and so we came up with an interesting way to integrate uh, a communication strategy that was in process. Um, so we were hired or commissioned in May 2009, and we had to deliver uh, the opening on um, 2009 December. So we basically had four months to produce uh, a biannual. Um, so how did we do this? We created um, a lot of research into local Chinese cultural conditions, and we came up with this idea called BYOB, Bring Your Own Biannual, um, to mobilize our community and take ownership of participating in a public space. Um, and obviously, if you look at uh, the typical uh, Venice Biennial, it's visited by obviously a quite um, a professional audience, and how could we question that? Um, so, you know, we had this whole fun thing about bring your own uh, boyfriend, bring your own bak choy, bring your own um, uh, all sorts of things that relate to the language of uh, Cantonese and also English as a uh, bilingual but now trilingual city. Um, this, for us, is a representation of um, empowerment of collective uh, 
I would say, uh, collaboration. Um, we were very lucky at that time, um, 2009, to have Shigeru Ban on board uh, to produce the temporary pavilion um, as part of the spirit uh, of this project. And as you can see, um, the paper tubes have never been actually written. Um, we weren't allowed to use this material in Hong Kong. It's not part of the building codes. But we argued and created a very diplomatic way of saying, well, this is a prototype. Um, so we had some universities come join us. We worked with the planners, and we set it up with sensors um, to measure its deflection. And because it was a experimental material exercise, we could actually build it and utilize it. And bringing it back to David Jeanettin, this is where I suppose I met David for the first time. Um, and I was very excited at that time. I suppose David Ome um, was competing against other architects to plan the West Kowloon Cultural District. But we were able to create a very neutral um, platform to bring in different communities um, to debate about the future of planning in Hong Kong and the image of the city under this fantastic skyline um, on an unused site for the last 12, 15 years. 80 exhibitions, um, building capacity with young uh, architects and designers, um, giving voice to them, and also inviting uh, another, actually, Australian, Natalie Germanjenko, based in uh, New York right now, um, producing ideas of technology and power. So how do you power purely from a USB cable? working with engineers to produce windmills on site and test them, um, and then also the potential of what recycling and ownership. I'm very now also very invested in um, educational strategies beyond uh, institutes. Um, so we were very excited to work with Xu Bing, uh, who's been um, uh, involved in a lot of uh, academic projects in, in Beijing. And he is super famous for a certain kind of English slash calligraphy. Um, so we did a project called the Forest Project, where he would inspire the young children to draw trees, and then take the tree diagrams into his own work and auction them off uh, to build and create new forests in Mumbai to China to various cities all over. And these are just other strategies of enlivening the waterfront with programs, um, a Korean reggae uh, musician cooking bimbimbap on site, and something very dear to us in our studio and our practice, the question of aging and the aging population. Um, and obviously, I always say my 82-year-old father is way more tech-savvy than I am and our community, and how can we build on those uh, capacities? We were very lucky, I would say, to then host a 2,000-person uh, feast on the site, this temporary ground, and actually open up um, the audiences for, to very different communities over a Pun Choi meal, um, working with local districts um, and also um, the actual architecture associations. So that was, I would say, um, a way for us to then challenge um, notions of demographics. At the same time, we've now um, also, you know, we had brought in uh, Casey Wong, uh, who was really fascinated with the building environment and created a floating house called the Paddling Home, 3.2 square meter house. Um, and this was, I would say, one of our biggest achievements um, was to do something highly legal, but looks illegal, um, and created a performance in the harbor called Two Wongs Going Out to Sea. 
And this actually was just meant to be a one-day event, but in terms of media attention and debates and discourse, managed to bring another level of discussion about how do we live? Um, is the harbor really a shared own space? Um, and how can you get other communities? And we managed to successfully do this because of the paddling home was under 3.5 horsepower, and this was allowed at the Hong Kong Harbor. And um, also a farm on site um, where we were able to create micro units working with a factory in uh, China that does paper pulping um, with egg crates, so it's fully biodegradable, and brought in 400 young kids, um, which to me, I, I was telling some of the students last night at Monash, it shocked me that uh, all the parents and communities coming in were spraying the children's hands because they had never touched soil before and they thought it was dirty. So then again, the question of nature and environment um, and social behavior and connections really taught us a lot through um, this, this project itself. And this is, this is our obsession, this is our uh, latest um, uh, way of thinking, is how do we build capacity um, whilst all these incredible developments are happening. Um, I'm so excited that there's a uh, West Kowloon Cultural District Sea True Theatre coming up. There's also the M Plus Pavilion, um, which has taken many years, and there's still construction delays. Um, but this is the future of culture, and it has to come with, I would say, a um, approach that is multi-scalar. Um, so while you have the larger scale developments, um, like at the Herzog de Meron incredible M Plus Museum that is coming, that will be on par, if not larger in ambition than the Tate Modern, um, there are needs to still have small scale, um, I would say, interventions and legacy building. So the last, very quickly, two projects to keep within um, my half an hour slot. Um, I just wanted to say there's the few little strategies about cities being curated with cultural projects um, are multi-scalar, and how do we look at design culture as a key mechanism to give voice to the community and user groups, um, not only in Hong Kong, um, but also our region. So um, Industrial Forest, just really quickly, um, is started in 2011-2012 by a philanthropist, um, art collector, um, who realized there was a lack of space for young designers, architects, and artists. So she found a 10,000-square-foot space not connected to the MTR. Actually, that's where our studio is in Hong Kong, um, just down the road, because we always go where the cheapest rent is, and um, created an artist-in-residency program. And she came to us saying, please test an idea. And we were then given a very tiny 400-square-foot uh, space on the terrace to investigate uh, questions we had for Hong Kong, and it was only meant to be a, uh, a temporary project. So I'll play a very quick film and just talk over it. Um, it's 2017 now. Um, when she came to us um, at that particular moment, um, there are only, I would say this is one of two or three last industrial neighborhoods in Hong Kong. Uh, called Wong Jokhang, which is basically uh, yellow bamboo terrain, um, pre-industrial. Um, and all, because our studio is um, there, we witnessed and observed a lot of transformation. I would say maybe 15 buildings coming down, probably another 20 built within the space of two, three years. And so we've been filming, understanding, 
observing and just looking. And um, Mimi Brown, the wonderful founder of Spring Workshop, said, create something as a test. Um, so what we ended up doing was look at the history and the heritage of our land. Um, and this particular area is close to Aberdeen, which means Hong Kong Zai, which is Little Hong Kong, which is the spirit of our community. And we were challenged to create, um, I would say, an installation that repre represents the environment. Um, so we created a um, small experimental garden. And for the first time, unlike the Venice Biennial pavilions and testing uh, installations, we wanted to create it uh, as a highly artificial micro-garden. And so these are 4.2 meter tall aluminum um, uh, customized, some customized, some mass uh, collected and created into an array, um, a geometry surrounded by a, a mirror on the third floor of a highway. And so it actually also captures the site and construction and building while at the same time being a very, very calm space. Um, and we wanted to recreate nature um, and question it um, here. And it's been a very interesting process. It's a very tiny, small project, um, but it has brought nature back and tricked the little bugs, the insects um, that are camouflaged here, and has also been a new way of adding dialogue to the city, both in the media, because we were also tracing the degradation of the poles with sensors and the pollution levels. And so now, if you go visit, um, it will be, I suppose, ending its fifth year, end of December, the workshop, actually, the nonprofit art space will be closing down. Um, the whole piece has survived typhoons. Um, we've recorded the neighborhood, and also recently, last year, it spawned real nature with toxic mushrooms, <laughs> um, which was highly unexpected, but also very exciting. Um, and the five-year process, we've been documenting uh, spider cobwebs one year for some bizarre reason. Uh, it was destroyed half uh, by the Typhoon 10 three years ago. Um, and now also um, uh, a lot of, uh, I would say, a lot of media have been also been tracking and tracing this as a way to add dialogue to the city. Um, and education uh, bringing in, I would say, underprivileged communities to engage. And we tested very closely the geometry um, of this very strange space uh, to ask questions to physics and mathematicians um, and getting the students and young kids involved. So this is Spring Workshop. Please visit. Um, it will hopefully, we're trying to discuss. I think M Plus might be collecting this. <laughs> Cross my fingers. So the last project um, to, to conclude is um, a return to this idea of um, not testing itself, but investment um, not in, say, physical infrastructure, but social and capital and ideas and experimentation. So 2014, um, although, as I mentioned, I was sitting on this board called Hong Kong Ambassador of Design, which is celebrating its 10th year. Um, a few years ago, um, a community of us in Hong Kong decided to produce a new platform uh, to support and stimulate what we call positive process of design uh, through project-based grants. So I have this really bizarre role where now uh, I run programs, but also um, 
as an architect through the networks, um, also fundraise to produce and work in partnership with different institutes, individuals. So M Plus Pavilion in Hong Kong, very exciting, a young architect. Um, but how do we work with a museum that's still under construction? Uh, we started a new fellowship um, to uh, sponsor uh, radical ideas and research that is unknown. Uh, we also work with um, textile, um, I would say, innovators. And this is Elaine, who spent one and a half years in Guizhou studying uh, textile craft and innovating products and design from that experience challenging uh, local minority women. Um, and of, of course, with Rory and his connection with the VNA, um, Unidentified Acts of Design, looking at the power of design through the lens of China and Hong Kong and innovation such as WeChat um, and films of and documentation of the power of social communities through the lens of the even drone development. And then bringing in different types of partnerships um, and platforms, curating. This is just three weekends ago. Um, my dream was to do a cross-border ferry. Um, so we actually tested the immigration and also uh, the, the, the possibilities of conversations in mobility. So that's Ole Bauman, who's now going to be um, running the next new museum called Design Society in Shenzhen. And we also did cook-ups to bring in cross-cultural dialogues. This is a paella cook-up with a wok, and also engagement. And um, other projects such as rethinking our city through the lens of type and history. Um, we have a young designer who graduated, I think, six years ago, um, analyzing obsessively, and he's unknown, untapped, uh, the very special 50s, 60s uh, font, uh, handcrafted calligraphy. And we've conducted tours with him through the city to engage our um, uh, other communities. And Brian Kwok, who's developing and researching neon signs as an act of heritage. And he's been collecting um, all these original handmade um, drawings um, from the masters. And there's no collection, there's no archive. And hopefully, someone like M Plus will also be in parallel building up this. So I'll end with this project. Um, this is completely new. Um, I've just launched a program, a pilot program called Design Trust Future Studio. And it's testing, I would say, a decade worth of explorations, um, but really thinking about how to build different platforms of expertise. And um, it's invested this year with the theme smallness and bringing in experts um, such as Gary Chang, Stanley, to even say Liz was mentioned earlier. Um, to Mimi and Sam Jacob. And the exciting thing for me about this uh, Future Studio program is 10 months long, intensive. We don't actually focus on outcomes per se, but we document the process and the debates and the dialogues um, and also bring in different stakeholders. And the 12 young designers um, are nominated from a committee of universities and are super happy to collaborate, because sometimes you, you understand institutes are very territorial, but um, probably not too dissimilar to the spirit of M Pavilion. It's a neutral space to bring different voices together, and therefore we have designers from Hong Kong and Shenzhen, uh, some that are running the Virtual Reality Club in Shenzhen, uh, to recent, recent graduate, um, to a uh, curator and critic, uh, to advertising, um, to a thesis award-winning actually a student of mine eight years ago um, who's been doing a lot of incredible work but has no voice in Hong Kong and still working the same corporate job 
and how to empower these voices to make change and bringing them into the homes of, say, Gary Chang, who's been living in a 32-square-meter home for the last 42 years, and he, he's um, been investigating this, and he still lives there as an urban prototype of transformation. And funnily enough, he said 32 square meters is not the norm. He can uh, cut it in half and rent out the rest. And so these questions of livability, uh, the future, the microparks, um, we're being challenged now to then reimagine public space through this group, this collective, um, and look at the best case studies in Hong Kong, such as light housing. Ricky Yu is an incredible entrepreneur who's identified uh, old building assets in Hong Kong that are part government and some are privately owned, and building affordable, he calls them empowerment housing for single women with families to live together and share. So there's a whole movement about sharing economy or sharing movement. Um, and ultimately, uh, my role now is dissimilar or similar to a lot of what was discussed today about how to bring a conversation um, that could be difficult but also a way to uh, empower positive change. Um, with storefront art and architecture from New York coming, um, we also had, uh, you see Duncan with his head down. He's actually so excited with the process that he had already identified potential sites for us for micro parks in Hong Kong and um, how to then think about and how to write our future together. So thank you very much. This is my very <laughs> quick overview of um, the projects we're doing, um, and thank you very much for the opportunity to share and speak to you. Thank you.